welcome to another episode of Crowdfunding Notes. This is a very special episode because it marks our three-year anniversary. So if you've been listening to us for a while, then you can join in our celebration. Yay! Yay! <laughs> on this episode, we cover a post that went viral on BoardGameGeek that involved an ad campaign that we ran for Deliverance. We get into the nuts and bolts of what makes a good BoardGameGeek ad. We talk about marketing strategies outside of BoardGameGeek and Facebook ads. And then we talk about the long-term business strategy of Deliverance and a publishing company, the differences between investments and expenses. Hope you find something in here helpful. Let's get into it. Game begin. Let's go. Go back to the shadow. You shall not fail. Crowdfunding Nerds. Amazing. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Crowdfunding Nerds. Actually, welcome myself back because I am now back. Uh, I had, uh, as many of you know, um, uh, a new baby uh, joined our family. Um, I made him. His name is John Constantine, and he is awesome. Demon Slayer. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Coincidentally, <laughs> named after the Demon Slayer. Um, actually, my father-in-law is Constantine, and uh, my grandfather is John. We love John, and uh, we, felt, we felt that should be his name. And it just so happened to be the same name as a Demon Slayer, um, John well, Constantine. You, you named him after me. Yes, yes. Sean is Irish for John. What? No way. Okay. Let's go with that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm back and kind of trying to kind of ramp back into working and everything like that. I really appreciate, you know, Sean, I appreciate you for um, holding the fort down and, and everything. Um, hope you all didn't get uh, too much tinfoil hat conspiracy theory stuff. Actually, I really enjoy that stuff, though. <laughs> you know? But, uh. But yeah, I was running so, out of topics. So I was like, what do we do next? <laughs> Bring well, out I the have Illuminati. an unlimited source of <laughs> I am an unlimited source of topics, it seems. Um I've always I've always loved to talk about what's happening now, you know, because whatever I'm working on now, it just seems like I'm always I'm always trying to learn, I'm always trying to advance and trying to do better and, and that sort of thing. And I haven't been idle while I've been away. I've just been able to focus a little bit more on, of course, my family and on deliverance, which, uh, you know, just as a word now selling it on the market, uh, we have our website, um, selling stuff. We have the, um, you know, we're now as of the recording of this podcast, well into the Christmas selling season. And, um, it is a really important time for all board game publishers to sell stuff because this is when, you know, parents and people will just buy, uh, even though they have no interest in playing themselves they have they need gifts for their uh you know local board game nerd and no idea what to buy so they go to amazon or they go wherever and see an ad and say i think johnny would like this or i think you know i don't know we've used johnny too much so maybe uh fred would like this game um and they spend 50 bucks on it so here i am in the middle of this selling season i did not want to um i didn't want to you know uh miss the opportunity because when you know christmas is over and and everybody is uh finished spending their christmas money and that kind of thing everything and stockings are under the tree um the likelihood that somebody's going to buy it is going to drop so uh take advantage of it now is what my intent was and so that's exactly what we did so i thought maybe what we would do is talk a little bit about that and a little bit about uh, maybe the buzz surrounding Deliverance because it is hilarious and fun and interesting. And I think a great case study for everybody. Um, so where do you want to start, Sean? 
Oh, well, we have to start with this ad. So okay. <laughs> what many people don't know is that we've been running ads on BoardGameGeek. And in the show notes, we'll include a, a conversation we had with Chad, who sort of heads up the ads on BoardGameGeek. And he gave us some tips on how to create good board game geek ads. So we, we implemented some of those in the deliverance campaign. And it ha- is, it's sort of hilariously gone viral on board game geek. Like right now, deliverance is uh, trending top three on the hotness list. Uh, a, a form post about deliverance is on the front page as well, where mm-hmm. someone is actually talking about this particular ad and uh, seeing the responses. We'll, we'll clear a link in the show notes for you to dig through, but seeing the responses has been both, uh, Exhilarating and hilarious and hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the um the uh so there's a thread on Board Game Geek. The title is This is a poor advertisement. Um and it has garnered forty-five thumbs, seventy-four comments so far just in the last day. And uh people are really, really uh I mean they're torn. I mean they're they they aren't sure if it's um I mean we're we're hearing things like this this ad is bad, this ad is good. This ad is white supremacy. This ad is, uh, you know, I mean, and everything else in between. Uh, definitely politics and religion and you name it. It, um, it is uh, quite hitting the fan. entertaining. Yeah, yeah. It's just super entertaining. And um, so the, the ad began, or rather the, the, the intrigue began. So actually, let me back up and say deliverance right now is, as you said, Sean, number three on the board game geek hotness list. Um, that actually is uh, so we we peaked at rank four during our Kickstarter campaign when pe- when I mean we had on our Kickstarter page we had like nine hundred comments on the first day we had a ton of people that were really interested a bunch of people were going there um, we eventually unveiled social goals we had a board game geek contest running we really did everything we could to try to hit to get as high as we could in in the board game geek um, hotness list so um, I thought. This was several, you know, maybe several months ago. I thought, okay, uh, December is a really important month. Um, I want to try to rise in the board game geek hotness list. So I'm going to schedule a contest and make sure my ads are running and, you know, that awareness is, is happening on board game geek of deliverance, uh, during the holiday season. I think that that's pretty important. And so, um, I, you know, went ahead and scheduled ads with Chad. Actually, we, we uh, interviewed Chad Kreisen on episode 147, um, and I really studied the, you know, what Chad said during that episode, and really thought about it. Came up with our ads and our contests and everything like that. So um, the contest launched on the fourth of December uh, today, as of recording, it's the seventh, um, and when it releases, I think this is going to release on the eleventh. So you're hearing pretty dang close to the the actual case study time of all this happening. So um, the contest raises your so uh, board game geek orders the hotness list based on generally based on traffic and the amount of buzz um, in a uh, you know a particular or about a particular game. So when a new game launches, um, like Jamie Stegmeyer's Apiary or something like that, it's going to hit number one on the hotness list because it went from zero to a bunch of people um, uh, looking at the the information. Um, so a lot of the hotness list is actually ordered by traffic, how many people are visiting the page, how many people are visiting the forums and that sort of thing. But also, um, as, uh, with one of our other clients, um, they had an image rate at, oh, Galactic Cruise, sorry. Um, they had an image 
that got like 40 thumbs and a ton of, you know, was their box cover and they hit number one on the hotness list out of nowhere uh, because of that image. Um, and so for us, this, this uh, forum thread, I promise you, it's not a plant. I had no idea this was happening until it had like 70 comments on it. But um, the, uh, the forum post uh, where everybody is talking about our game uh, and just getting tons and tons of, of engagement has absolutely assisted with our ranking. Now, before we ranked, um, so this was yesterday, I want to say before the forum thread was started, we, we were ranked 10th. And after the forum thread, we, we rocketed up to number three so far. And I think it's possible we could go higher. I'm not sure. Um, our contest has a couple more days on it. And so we're going to get more traffic to our page and, and, and so on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we're, um, it's, it's going really well. And the, the, the thread just so happens to be, uh, very aptly timed. Um, so before we dive into the actual content of the thread, which I think is really interesting, a roller coaster of joy and, um, uh, you know, like tragedy and comedy, um, the, I guess, uh, let's talk about that itself you, first. Okay. So people know what it is, what we're talking about. Okay. So when I, when I was actually perusing board game geek, I think I was on it for a client or something and I saw this app pop up and my first instant was, wow, that's an ugly ad. And then I looked at it and I was like, wait, that's our ad. <laughs> because Jacob has been running the, the Boy King Geek ad campaign. I haven't been touching it, so I don't know what's happening. And then I suddenly thought, oh, it must be working. If that ad has been used, it's, it's working. And then I suddenly thought, oh, we had a conversation mm -hmm. with Chad and he said, do exactly the, do exactly this. So my question is to you, Andrew, did, mm -hmm. is this something that you did intentionally? And the second question is, did you talk to Sam Healy about this? Did you let him know that this was something you, you're going to do? Yes, actually, I uh, yes to both. Um, I thought I, so. I thought there were there were others that we've interviewed in the past. Uh, one, uh, Jeremy Howard, um, who we we talked about the three scroll test, and uh, around I want to say like episode ten. Awesome dude, great friend of of uh, of mine and podcast, you know, industry friend of mine. And um, he said, you know, it's really important if you want to use a reviewer's quote that you get their permission, even though they quote it just. It, it seems kind of um, like good manners to get permission or just say, Hey, I'm going to use this. Are you cool with this? And so I actually did that with Sam. I said, Hey, this is the ad. I sent him a picture of the ad. Are you okay with this? Um, because he said, you know, this game is two thumbs up and he had like one caveat. He's like, it's, he has a, a rate. His rating system is no thumbs up, one thumb up or two thumbs up. And he said, this game is two thumbs up. And he had a caveat that it, for some people, it might be one thumb which means absolutely play this, um, but you may want to play it before you buy it. Two thumbs is his rating of like, just buy this immediately. Don't even need to play it before you buy it. And uh, so I just wanted to be uh, sure that he was okay with it. And he said, yeah, I'm totally cool with this. And so with his blessing, I went ahead and submitted the ads. And, and just, um, maybe just so I can explain the ad because people don't know what we're talking about. It has a, yes. the ad consists of a picture of Sam Healy's face uh, wearing sunglasses. It's pretty cool. And his big beard, and it's kind of got this big, thick, white outline. And then the background has like a, a deliverance background. And then it's just a quote that says, I, I give this two thumbs up or something to that nature. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're talking about. It's very simple. It doesn't say anything about the game. It doesn't say it's it an order game. Out. You can't, you don't even see the logo. It has a background image that's kind of been partially faded of the the board and, and kind of the game in the middle of play. 
So it's it's an interesting looking image, but the what you don't see is you don't see what game it is. You don't know what game it is. You don't um, know anything other than this guy who you may or may not know um, says it's two thumbs up. And, and it also has the board game geek rating on it. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, yes. So the board game geek rating is at 8.8 .8 right now. And actually, I, I don't know if it's going to go up or down <laughs> right now. We've got some people rating it. Oh, we're at 8.7 now because we're getting people, uh, some people rating it a one, some people rating. We've got a one and a two and then other people rating well, the it rating uh, the, board, the board game geek rating wars. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm rating this a 10 to outbalance all the ones. I'm rating this a one to outbalance all the tens. And that's, that's how it goes. Yeah. So we've had like ones and twos and, uh, you know, come in, which to give you an idea of how many ones and twos, a combined total of nine ratings of one and two combined. Uh, you probably ratings of game. 10. Of course, definitely not. Um, but, uh, you know, we've got 153 10 star or 10 rate, 10 star ratings, 63 nine star. 59 eight star and then seven is like 15 so it just really starts to drop there but so people really love the game and i think that, <laughs> that they just wanted to probably knock it off it's uh it's it's high horse because 8.8 .8 is um a strange a strange rating and now now that it's rated 8.7 i'm sure people are going to start to bring that up and say ah oh, you are a liar now it's it's 8.7 and you know it's very funny but um but yeah, so that's that's kind of the content of the ad. So what what I did was now there's there's this thread which we can we can get into. Um, the thread itself is um, a doozy. It's all sorts of fun. Um, so if you haven't yet uh, looked at it, you know, I mean, if you're in a place to to look at it, pause it, look for um, the what we'll have it in the show notes so that you can that you can find it. But um, I posted on like around page three. It's like the very end of page three. Um, I will, um, or I actually shared all five of our ads for that uh, size. So there are actually many different sizes, you know, mobile sized ads, ads that are banners, ads that are square that you need for board game geek. So rather than share all, you know, 25 variations of ads and whatnot, I posted, um, just the five basic types so that you can see the, um, the variety that we put together. And I talked about this. Oh, so by the way, the, um, Chad Kreisen gave me, um, I requested our stats to see what, you know, what's happening with the, with the ads and Chad actually, um, added something extra. He said, uh, that the results that our ads are getting are stellar the average performance, this is an exact quote, the average performance for site-wide banners over this same time span that, that I asked for a measurement is 0.25%. So 0.25% click-through rate. Um, if you mm -hmm. see an ad on BoardGameGeek, everything added together is 0.25. Our um, results are 0.65. So we have an average click-through rate of 0.65 on all of our mm -hmm. ads. And that is 260% higher than, than normal, like 260% higher than the average. Um, and now that it varies just based on the position. So like mobile, um, ads are going to get higher click through rates, uh, just because they're larger and, and, um, you know, it's just, I don't know. I don't know exactly why they just get higher click through rates, but the, uh, the wide banners that go over the top of, of every forum, um, those get much higher. So we have like 0.92% click through rate for some of those banners, 0.7, 0.8% click through rate for some of the mobile banners 
And uh, these are these are overall lower the squares that um, the one square that the guy linked. So um, we I I went through I combed through and figured out the results of the the ads. So the the ad one through five. It just so happens that Sam Healy's face, the Sam Healy face ad is ad number two. And um, I, I listed the results. So they, they range between 0.23 to 0.48 in, in click-through rate. Um, so, you know, out of every, I don't know, like if, uh, if 100 people uh, click on the ad, or it's like if 200 people click, or if 200 people see the ad, that means one person is going to click um, on Sam Healy's face. And that's actually a, a great click-through rate, 0.48. Um, so I don't know if I don't want to go on a tirade for too long about these numbers and everything, but it, uh, it generally being the highest, uh, click through rate, it had, um, uh, it, uh, Bork and geek uses, uh, I believe it's called Google AdSense. It's like a display ads, can, uh, system that, um, that Google allows you to integrate into your own website. And, um, it's, pretty cool uh but it's been around forever and and that's what they use so it prioritizes automatic if you put five images and it wrote it'll rotate through it will figure out how many people are seeing it compared to how many are clicking and the ones that are getting more clicks are gonna get prioritized so the ad that gets a 0.7 percent click-through rate is the one that's going to get like 99 percent of your impressions after a period of time compared to the one that gets 0.2% click-through rate. And that's what you want. When you're paying for impressions, uh, which is the number of times people see your ad, you want it, I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, you want more people to click. As long as you're not paying per click, you want more people to click, right? So the better ads should be the ones that are prioritized, the ones that are shown. And that's exactly what um, BoardGameGeek does. So it's a, it's actually a pretty, a pretty great system to work with. Um, and so... Here we yeah, are. And outside, outside of Facebook ads, the board game, board game geek for tabletop games is your next stop. So um, this is a great case study that you should definitely investigate because mm-hmm. I imagine now, Andrew, a lot of people are going to be copy, copying this formula. They're probably going to see all the ads now looking like <laughs> this, just using uh, some influencer with a very simple quote in the board game geek rating. So uh, you might want to try it yourself and uh, see how it works yeah. out. <laughs> I'll use my own face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's really cool. I think that, um, in fact, the two ads that performed the best were, um, the, uh, Sam Healy quote, as well as the Theo nerds quote, which I thought was really cool. Every theology nerd needs this game on their shelf. Okay, um, interesting. So the quotes did the best. Yeah. And, and so it's, uh, it's interesting. I'll have to look and see if like the other formats performed the same, but I definitely think that the, um, the quotes are a big, uh, deal. Uh, the ad that I thought was going to perform the best. So there were two that I thought would outperform. The first one is uh, kind of the angel Michael floating over the town of Fallbrook. It's like an ominous, um, you know, very, very kind of, I would say normal town sunset happening with an angel armed with a broadsword floating over it. It's kind of cool looking with our, our logo. So you know what game it is. Maybe I should remove that. I wonder if the click through rate would be higher if I simply removed the logo. You know, um, but uh, and then we had another one that had like several angels uh, side by side, like the art pieces and, you know, the with the phrase epic tactical co-op angels versus demons and along with the 8.8 rating in order now. So um, that's where, uh, you know, we, we had a, a wide variety, but it just seemed like 
the quotes outperformed all the others. So um, when we get more quotes, maybe I'll I'll use more I'll use more talking heads. Yeah, yeah, and the 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 comments have been been interesting from this is a bad ad to this is a great ad <laughs> to yep. uh, conspiracy theories about I don't know neo neo Nazism. <laughs> don't, don't even yep. know how that came up. <laughs> I don't it's know what the deal is with like 8.8. It's, 8. it's is, the internet. Is there a deal with eight? Um, yeah, Apparently I was. It's some type of hidden message that. Yeah, I was. I was like very curious. Like I wanted to go down a rabbit hole and say why is how is eight linked to neo-Nazi extremism or something? You know, um, I think it's probably the wrong rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> I think so. so yeah. Yeah, I I'll probably send that person a private message later and just like ask and say, hey, uh, don't, yeah, I don't know how a, a game about Christ. Who is the king of the Jews could be labeled anti-Semitic? Oh yeah, we did. (laughs) Yeah, it was was really curious. Uh, I think that it was more they they were saying like as a general view their their view on certain sects of Christianity were that those people were more likely to be anti-Semitic or something like that. Um, I honestly I think that this is something that I am more likely to deal with than than others. However, I'll say that trolls are, are everywhere and, and take all shapes and say all sorts of stupid things. Um, it's really important not to feed the trolls. So yeah. I think that we, you know, we, we had a, an experience a long time ago with a game called tournament fishing. And that was where a guy <clears throat> just was very, um, uh, very, we'll put it this way. He fed the trolls a lot and it, was um a really negative thing overall in my opinion i i don't think that you want to um come off as like a huge uh, jerk or anything but it i don't know i i feel i fear talking so much about it but if you want to look into what happened you can but um i just i felt like the mistake in that situation was the feeding of the trolls the people that were you know most likely to be outraged by insensitive comments were the one, the only ones that he was talking to. And for me, I, I need to like the way that way that I kind of diffuse trolling situations is number one, I just don't really address those people. And number two, if I do address them, I only try to address the, the kernel of um, like, legitimate concern in what it is that they're writing a lot of the, the time, benefit of other people right and even sometimes for that person like if it, you know somebody's wondering about like the um uh extremism of one kind or another i'll just say you know if if i had to address it it would say i would just say something as simple as oh you don't need to know the bible in order to play it's a game that is it's game first instead of like trying to teach so much before it is trying to be a good game. And I think that's probably closer to the real question people have. And, you know, it, it also refocuses the subject from someone like arguing about some real life thing. Like we play board games to escape real life. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but you know, I'm like when I'm an angel slaying demons by the power of God, it just feels good, you know? And then I go back to being a normal everyday a uh, digital marketing nerd uh, with a bunch of kids, and you know it's it's cool, but it's fun. I can't wait to get back into that deliverance world or whatever. So I I try to kind of keep the main thing the main thing, and not not allow you know somebody with real life gripes about something 
harsh my mellow. I uh, it's kind of yeah. like the, you know having a cell phone at 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 a, at a board game table. I tell people put their cell phone down. You know, it's like <laughs> stop bringing real life into board games. You know, let's let's have fun. Like we're here to have fun first and foremost, right? So anyway, yeah, and I, yeah. I think a lot of people throw around terms. They really have no idea what they mean anyway. I think most people who say anti-Semite don't even know what a Semite is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so well, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, you know, about 20% Ashkenazi Jewish uh, by blood. So it's, um, you know, we, we ate matzo ball soup growing up. We you know, did all the things. So I'm a real mutt as far as uh, my genealogy goes, but um yeah, it's a it's a a curiosity. I think best not to indulge those those people and just continue doing what it is that you love. Focus on the things you love, and you'll be a lot happier, right? So yeah, um, and yeah. The, the internet is the internet, and there's always going to be wild, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wild things happening. Um, yeah, party exacerbated through social media. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so cool. is there any other lessons that we can learn from this? I think, yeah. So the, maybe the key takeaways is if you're going to use an influencer, get their permission, maybe show the ad to them first and see if they're cool with it. And then when you create board game geek ads, maybe try using a quote uh, with the board game geek rating listed on it, a face of the influencer, and then try lots of different variations, which are all very different from mm-hmm. each other so that you can A-B test those. And yep. If your post happens to go viral and people are talking about it, don't feed the trolls. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think that um, there are certain things that you can't control. Like I could not control one person writing a, an entire essay about this ad. Um, I'm actually really happy that they did that. But I think that um, it's, again, something you can't control. So worry about what you can control, focus on those things. And then if, um, it, if, if it goes well, you know, and you end up getting something that goes viral, um, don't, don't step in it. Like it would be better for you not to say anything than for you to say something stupid. So, um, you know, be thoughtful about what you say, how you engage. For me, I decided to kind of put my crowdfunding nerds hat on and, and say, well, these were why we did our ads the way we did. And this was the, uh, the, the results and, um, you know, all, all of that. So at least I can add to the conversation instead of, um, stir the pot. You know, you don't want to be number one on the board game, be grading because, you know, you stole $300,000 worth of magic cards from Gen Con, <laughs> you know, like your game will be number one. Like that actually happened for those yeah. that might not be familiar. Um, some board game designer wore his, wore his t-shirt for his board game and, um, was caught on CCTV stealing a pallet of Magic the Gathering from Gen Con in, uh, you know, 2023 this year. That, um, it's called guerrilla marketing. It, yeah. yeah guerrilla marketing. Uh, it was a joke, guys. It was a joke. Take the cuffs off, please. You know? <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a, uh, it was a very interesting thing. So, um, yeah, maybe, you know, we can transition now. I feel like we've beat that, sure. uh, that, that horse into near oblivion. Um, maybe we can transition now into, the overall strategy for deliverance during uh, during the, the the holiday season and just in general for games. Um, so I was looking. So I decided we're gonna we're gonna spend a hundred bucks a day on Facebook ads. And this this was in like early November. Um, we're just gonna spend a hundred dollars a day on Facebook ads. We're now 
in a place where we have our web store that is doing well and you know that is stable and able to bear the weight of you know people you know hundreds of people going there and buying things and whatnot so um that people can actually buy things and receive them uh after they buy them so we um started pumping money into Facebook ads. And I realized I'm like, why am I only spending a hundred? Like we're, we're averaging about 400 bucks in, um, or, you know, at the time it was like $300 a day in return. And I'm spending a hundred. It, it ranged. It's a little high. It was a little higher than that. So we're, we're earning like 3.5 back for every dollar that we spent, which is a decent number to start. And, um, I realized now is the time that people are actually buying. So I went ahead and I more than doubled that on um, on Facebook ads, it, it, which sounds like a lot. Like spending two hundred fifty dollars a day, like I don't have two hundred fifty bucks a day to to burn on things. However, I am turning that right around and making money the very same day. So it's really you don't need like ten thousand dollars to do that. You need you know a thousand dollars to do that. And as, as long as you're making money, as it works, yeah, you can pump more in. So. Um, I'm spending a hundred bucks a day on amazon.com. I'm spending like $250 a day on Facebook. I'm spending 40 bucks a day on Twitter. I think we are spending 20 or $40 a day on gab because uh, you brought it up and, and I thought, yeah, why, why not? Let's do that. We're, uh, we, we have a, uh, uh, we're, we're rolling on board game geek. I want to say that's it's around, I don't like four $4,500 or $5,000 that we spent on board game geek um, overall, which is kind of going to carry us through, um, mid January. And that's, that's worth kind of spending a lot. Um, we've, we have, uh, many reviewers that have our games in hand. Um, only a few of them have actually, uh, put a review up. That's one of the things that I really look forward to and, and, um, you know, getting more reviews actually finished, but we're, we're really, really peppering it like hardcore. Um, we made, uh, like $24,000 in the month of November. Um, we did a black Friday slash cyber Monday sale. Um, and we, we can talk about how we, how we did that. Uh, but I thought that was very successful. Um, and in, you know, the first seven days of November, we've made about $4,500, uh, just, just through our website, uh, not counting Amazon. I'd have to look at those numbers. How are the uh, Twitter ads doing? You know, I'm not sure how well they're doing. I actually, my gut feeling is that they're not performing that well. Um, I just am. Uh, so uh, what I found to be effective on Twitter is uh, our video ads. So 15 second videos are, you know, generally what, what perform well there. You can do like a, a promoted tweet or, or, you know, things like that. But I didn't really have anything that was, that was like a good fit. So based on my research, I'm like, you know, just figured we're going video and the video that performed really, really well. So I had two videos that performed well. One was the, the, so we have a video that's like a rotating board game. It rotates left to right. And then the, we have, um, the angel miniatures figures, um, to the left and right of that, that just kind of spin in the middle of space. Um, I don't know if you, maybe you guys have seen it before on, on Facebook, but it's at the end of our Kickstarter trailer. Um, it's just meant to be a little bit of movement so that you can clearly see what it is. It's almost just like a picture that moves a little bit. Um, so there was that video and then there was the one that we did that was like the the end section of our of our kickstarter video where it was like gabriel and shula and michael the archangel fighting hordes of demons um 
that actually ended up performing the best by far. So, you know, Gabriel shield bashing a demon and then Shula lighting demons on fire. And then Michael jumping into a horde of demons. And then Christine, uh, you know, pulling lightning from the sky, like Thor into her sword before she stabs, uh, an abomination on the hanging off the no, church. Like people. Yeah, it was, it's, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool scene, but that ad actually performed really, really well. And, um, surprisingly, so when I say, well, it's 0.32% click through rate or 0.34. And the other ad was half that was like the, the still image ad, or I'm sorry, the, like the slightly moving video ad of the box cover and twirling minis that did not perform well on Twitter, um, compared to the, um, the action happening. And I think that while people are doing whatever they're doing on Twitter, that action really stops them and makes them pay attention and and gets them interested. So I know we've made sales, but actually one of the problems I'll say that I really did. So I tried to get our website prepared for receiving the amount of, of traffic and influx that, that I wanted. Um, so it's kind of like the farmer preparing for rain analogy. But uh, one thing that I didn't really do very well is I didn't set up a system that would tell me with reliability and at a glance, like at a very easy glance, what, sales are coming in from where um we have google analytics we have facebook ads you know the stats and everything like that they all work we can see how many sales are developed are, are generated by facebook but i'd really like a single dashboard that does all of that and what's interesting is i may actually have one that i just haven't i haven't seen the right page i haven't you know figured out the right page for it i know it you know in google analytics i can i can do this but google analytics 4 you have to create a report like that and, um, so I haven't, you know, having a three week old baby, it's like priorities. I haven't dug, haven't dug into it. Yeah. So, um, what I decided I really wanted, like my, my general overall goal is exposure. It's kind of a weird phrase, a weird word that I don't like to use very much. Um, I want to sell copies. I want to be profitable with our ads but my number one priority is actually selling, working to sell out of the inventory we have. Um, I'm willing to, you know, considering all the, the amount that we paid for manufacturing and everything, we have all of this extra stock now, which is about, you know, like 1700 games left or so. Um, and, you know, we have to figure out how am I going to sell through 1700 units? Because that each box represents $100 to me, regardless of how much I paid to get it shipped to the places I did. I've got, copies in Australia. I've got copies in the United Kingdom. I've got copies in, you know, Germany, copies in the United States. So how am I going to turn all of those, you know, those 1700 games into hundred dollar bills? Um, so it's, you can consider like each copy of the game was $17 and eight cents. Then the, the landed cost was another, you know, $2 and 50 cents or whatever. And by the time everything works out, it's about $20 per game that it actually cost me to make and ship. And then, you know, the, like the last mile shipping, if you will, it ranges between, you know, 20 and $30, just generally depending on where it's going. Um, but all of these things are kind of like sunk cost. I've already paid for those things. So now I have a box that could make me a hundred dollars um, if I sell it. So the marketing cost. Is and and things like ongoing storage fees are the only things that matter right now. Um, mm -hmm. 
So if I spend $50 to sell one game, it doesn't earn, I mean, that's not a profitable long-term strategy, but it is actually, I made $50 at this, at this point, right? So the question is, how can I make sure that this is a sustainable strategy? So obviously I want to, I, you know, right now we're selling, um, we're getting better numbers than that. You know, we're making anywhere from, uh, $400 to $1,000 every day on, on, uh, or it was like 1600 a day is like, it ranges like between about that to 400 to 1600 a day in, in uh return. So, um, the question is, uh, how are we going to sustain a business over a long term? And what I plan on doing is, you know, kind of my long term strategy is the Kickstarter that we do for an expansion. That is where I plan on, you know, kind of refueling and filling the coffers and reprinting the base game and reprint and printing the expansion and, and all of that. So that again, we'll have uh, units to, to sell and, um, you know, I'll, I'll use the phrase liquidate, you know, we need to get rid of our, our games. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, sell, sell the games. So, um, part of the, part of the goal is just to make sure that everybody knows the game exists and which is why this board game geek, um, article is so timely because so many people are talking about the game and, you know, and just, a, a small little ad, uh, that it reached the number three on the hotness list and many more people are discovering the game now. Um, so that when one day a reviewer that they like that has the game in hand, but you know, it's kind of in their reviewer queue, like the dice tower or Quackalope or uh board game co, you know, with Alex Radcliffe or, you know, tons of others, um, have the game. They, and they make their conclusions about the game, whatever it is. Hopefully some of them are going to be very positive. Um, all of those people will remember deliverance from board game geek will remember deliverance from the Facebook ad finally hears, Oh wow, this game is really, really good. It's one of my top 10 for the year or whatever. Um, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want to kind of claim a bunch of sales as a result of, uh, the, you know, the ongoing work that we've been doing. So we've been exposing, working on exposing the game to a lot of people. We are making money, but I plan on capitalizing on that exposure with, reviews and with other other things that we're doing yeah i think that's, that's a very clever strategy to implement and that i think another thing that people need to keep in mind is that that might not seem like a good way to go because oh well i'm not making a great deal of money if i'm just getting exposure so to speak but <laughs> i think the goal is that once someone is acquired it's much easier to sell to them again and i do know that you have an expansion in the works so. <laughs> Even if you kind of have a loss lead in the sense that you're not making too much money of selling a person deliverance, your plan yeah. then is to sell them an expansion where you're going to make a lot more from that. So I think that's something to keep in mind mm -hmm. as well is that you do have uh, another way of, of selling more products to those people. And mm -hmm. this is something that we see with our e-commerce accounts is that once we acquire a purchase, it's much easier to sell those people other things, mm -hmm. especially if there's a lot of uh, there's a lot large catalog on a particular store. It's what makes running ads for smaller publishers a lot harder because they don't have a big catalog of games. They might just have one game. Right. So you pay all this money to acquire a sale 
then mm-hmm. you can't do anything else with that sale because you have nothing else yep. to sell them. Whereas if you're a publisher that has maybe four or five titles, so then, oh yeah, by the way, we also produce this or this game is similar to this and you can kind of hit them with different messaging once you know, once you capture that sale. So the cost per acquisition drastically reduces once mm-hmm. you start making sales. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting because um, it was different. My strategy has adapted um, over time. What I initially wanted to do is, of course, I wanted to actually pay myself for for doing this and and pay our artists and other things like that. But what I realized was, I can either so I can turn this into a board game company. This you know, Lowen Games is my publishing arm that I that I publish used to publish Deliverance. I can turn Lowen Games into a company that publishes board games, and we can have Deliverance as like our first and. Then we can come up with our next game and build over time, kind of like a traditional publishing company. Or um, we can go full force into building a brand off of this game, off of Deliverance. And I found the Deliverance has so much, um, it has the fans of the game are so hardcore that it is the type of game that I think people would, uh, it just will perform better than coming up with an entirely new, uh, new IP. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the limited time and the limited resources that I have, it makes more sense at this point to continue to focus on what's working rather than to diversify myself and say, oh, I'm going to develop like 10 games at the same time. And then, you know, we're going to have a content calendar kind of like, you know, let's say somebody that does this well, uh, we always use Stonemeyer games as an example of, of a company that does this well, they come out with uh, generally at least one new game every single year, which if you understand the, you know, how to design board games and all of that, that's kind of a lot for one, for one, I'll say one person, you know, one, uh, you know, and I know that he, Jamie Stegmar has a couple of, uh, employees now, but, um, for one person to design one game and actually publish and release one game a year, that's a lot. So, um, for me, I'm not in a position where I have all of the infrastructure to, to do that. Um, and so I thought, rather than kind of fragmenting my attention even further, let me focus and give people what they clearly want and, and uh, you know, we'll focus on deliverance. So my strategy for that is that I want to develop um, an expansion release on Kickstarter that makes a million dollars. So that might, my, my kind of big hairy audacious goal is a million dollar expansion because, you know, we, we raised 314,000 on the first Kickstarter if we do a million on the next one, or if we fall short of that goal and hit 500,000 or whatever, um, we're going to be taking even more seriously and we're going to develop even more fans and that sort of thing. So we're going to be able to make more deliverance, more people will be happy and so on. So, um, and it's what we know. It's what's proven. Like I can come up with an expansion every single year. It's, it's the game system is, is developed and it's ready to, uh, to be expanded upon. Um, and fans absolutely want expansion content. So I'm trying to kind of, uh, remain very focused. I think that's where a lot of, a lot of companies, even companies that we, that we work with, uh, will come out with one game that's really awesome in a particular theme. And then they come out with their next game in a, in an entirely different theme, entirely different mechanics, entirely different audience. And they're surprised when their email list doesn't convert very high from the, you know, from the past. Um, I think that it's really important to kind of be focused as a company, you know, and, th- and this is my kind of my way of doing that. 
while balancing all of the other responsibilities that I have, you know? And there's risk, right? Whenever you create a new thing, it's untested. Actually, I'll include a link in the show notes and it was talking about Steam games and there's a particular company that creates basically fake Steam games so that they can mm-hmm. see how well the games get in terms of organic wish lists. And mm-hmm. then they'll only start developing the games that kind of get a good organic traction on Steam. Mm-hmm. So they kind of, it's almost like kind of creating fake Facebook, uh, sorry, creating f- fake uh, Kickstarter projects just with like mm-hmm. a, a thumb and seeing how well can it organically get Kickstarter followers and then developing that game or that idea. Um, yep. Because there is risk. You don't want to de- put all your heart and soul and, and finances into a project that, you know, there really isn't a market for. And it could, that could be nothing about your abilities as a game designer. It's just people don't typically want it. So like, there's a reason why there's flagship products for big game companies like Rockstar, mm-hmm. GTA, yep. uh, you know, Blizzard is the Warcraft series. Yep. Um, so on and so forth is because, well, there's low risk and that's mm-hmm. what works. And that's what their, their communities have, have, but come, mm-hmm. they they know them for those things. So it just yeah, makes you know, sense. Actually, to I, I on on a similar vein, I was um I read or I watched a YouTube video. So I love watching League of Legends. It's one of my uh kind of pastimes that I do for you know League of Legends. Uh, Worlds happens every year, like October November, and it's super fun. It's it's you know it might be the the biggest game in the world right now. Uh, it's definitely the biggest um event in esports. The League of Legends World Championships gets like you know well over a billion people to watch it um every year so it's it's a really big deal um but i was wa- i watched a youtube video that somebody gave i'll have to i'll have to look it up because it's quite interesting uh maybe we can include a link in the show notes as well but um how did league of legends um become what it is today uh there were lots of competitors that they dealt with the people that made it weren't business people the game is 15 years old and it's still right now the biggest game in the world. And um, so how did it become that way? How did it stay that way? And um, one of the, uh, you know, in in the actual uh, post, one of the most interesting things was that they focused, they, uh, so Valve, who you love, I know you love Valve, Sean, you're a fanboy of Valve, aren't you? Yeah. Um, how much Dota 2 have you played by Valve? None. <laughs> what? How dare you play none? Well, um, I've also played very little because Dota One was like, you know, Warcraft Three. That was a a big, I don't big like game Lotus, for me. So that's why I haven't played much League either. So it's not take like... that back. No. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you're you're you like stuff like Quake more, don't you? Um, yeah, FPS. So or... yeah. So then the uh, the concept was uh, Valve had all sorts of different games. They had, um, I mean, they have the Steam Store. They have a lot of different projects that they have to focus on. Well, Riot Games only had League of Legends. So, uh, you know, other games had, uh, you know, Heroes of New Earth was a competitor. Smite was a competitor. There were lots of other um, MOBAs that hit. Dota 2 is probably the biggest competitor to League of Legends in regard to uh, MOBAs. And um, League just destroyed all of them. And uh, the question is why? And this answers uh, really well. But one of the things that I think Riot Games did very well was focus. They focused and they made what the players wanted. So other games like Heroes of New Earth was a game that started out at like $60 uh, per unit, which was common. League started out as free to play. Uh, By the time a year later, Heroes of New Earth switched to free to play, 
League of Legends had a player base that was 20 times the size of Heroes of New Earth. And then even still, Heroes of New Earth failed to create microtransactions that players actually wanted to buy. Everybody wanted skins, like cosmetic skins for their characters so that, you know, the the dinosaur would be like Mecha Godzilla and have, you know, drills for arms and his abilities would be different or whatever. I was talking about Cho'Gath for anybody that plays League of Legends. But, um, but you know, other things like that were are things that players actually want. Um, they league had a better eye on what the customer actually wanted. And I think that's really the key at the end of the day, we have to figure out as publishers, as marketers, whoever's listening to this podcast, you need to know what your people want, who they are, what they care about, what they actually want to want you to make. Um, they'll give you all sorts of positives. Um, you know, like I'll buy anything that you make. Um, but then when push comes to shove, what will they actually pay for? And, that kind of thing. And I think the only way that you can have a true understanding of that is by having your ear to the ground all the time, uh, by communicating with your people, by going where your people go and doing what your people do um, so that you can know them. And um, I know that my deliverance fans want more deliverance. And I know that strangers on the internet want deliverance when they, when they discover what deliverance is, if they are the right type of person, they will, they will absolutely just buy it. Um, I'll, I'll say one legal oh, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, yeah. Sure, I'll just say one other thing that League of Legends did was that it gave gamers an opportunity to make a, a livelihood from the game itself, whether mm -hmm. that was through becoming a competitive player that had a very big esports scene or becoming mm -hmm. some type of content creator around the game or becoming a um, you know, caster, a commentator, someone you could talk in tournaments. And this is actually something we've been talking about in terms of with deliverance, how do we turn this into like a competitive game? How do we run tournaments and offer, you know, unique perks and, and things? Because I think one reason why League of Legends exploded was because World of Warcraft Arena failed. Uh, it mm -hmm. failed to capture uh, that esports vibe and feel. And a lot of people who were disgruntled with the sort of lackluster WoW Arena experience switched over to League of Legends. I was there at the, at the mm -hmm. very beginning around 2007. All my Arena partners like, just go play League of Legends. I was like, why? It's just like, Warcraft, but worse, <laughs> but <laughs> <know>? smaller. <laughs> so, yeah, so, like uh, instead of having like twenty abilities, I have like four, and like this is kind of seems yeah. kind of silly. So anyway, that's one reason why I didn't get into it. But I know a lot of WoW players who were fed up with sort of the imbalances within WoW Arena just switched over to League, and I think they they stayed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, you know, another thing that League did very well was that they actually policed their community for uh, trolls and for negativity. Uh, one thing that Dota is very, very famous for are trolls, just, you know, people cussing each other out on the same team before the game even starts. That's like it. I mean, I hope now that Dota 2 actually p does a better job policing than they used to, but that was what the game, the toxicity of that community was what the game was known for. And League actually, um, you know, really did a good job uh, policing their community, making sure that, you know, hey, if you, if you get, like if you receive uh, too many violations, you will be banned. Like your account will be shut off. And so the trolls would, um, you know, kind of sign their own, their own death warrants um, in, in that way, you know? So um, toxic players would tended to be um, attracted to other games that their toxic behavior wasn't called out, you know? So um, yeah. So, I mean, there are, there are other things, you know, and, and you kind of touched on a topic that I think, would be really, really great for a future episode, which is turning Deliverance into a lifestyle game. As a, a lifestyle game, we're talking about things like Warhammer, Magic the Gathering, 
um, you know, World of Warcraft, League of Legends, these these games where people say, this is my game. I play this game, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, um, that that type of thing. And I, I have a vision for how to do that um, with Deliverance. And that's kind of where I'm moving. But um, there are a lot, of, a lot of plans, a lot of, you know, I would if I could kind of thing that will only be determined over time. Um, you know, the, I, I just, I don't want to finally record a podcast when I'm at the top of the mountain saying, this is how I did it. I want to kind of walk through as, as we, um, you know, take each step, but I don't think I'm quite ready to have a conversation like that, but it's, it's definitely coming. Um, and I think that one of the, one of the last things I'll mention that, uh, that you kind of touched on a little bit was the competitive tournament scene in league of legends, uh, actually loses money for them every year. Um, it's never made money for them. As far as I, as far as I know, they've always lost money. It is a, what they call a loss leader, um, where people will, um, you know, engage in it and appreciate it, but it won't make you money, um, in and of itself. However, it will continue to fuel what does make you money. And so, although you won't be able to, to attribute your sales to, you know, let's just say for, for, for example, in deliverance, we just announced that we're releasing quarterly content packs so that you get a free PDF um, every single quarter of missions that you can play. So it's a reason to bust out your deliverance scheme again after you've had it on the shelf for a while. You know, once a quarter, you can break it out and have something new to, to experience for free. Um, I think that that's not going to make us any money. You know, working for a free product just doesn't make you money. Um, but what does is somebody that had the game on their shelf for a while busted out and said, Oh, you know, like we have a Christmas themed mission. Um, and that's the, uh, uh, kind of the, you know, the first one that we're releasing, it's going to get somebody to bust it out, maybe at a family event, maybe, uh, with friends and say, Oh, I want to play this. And then new people are going to see the game and say, Oh, wow, that looks interesting. And, um, that's generally how board games are sold. So, um, you definitely want to figure out how can we market to our internal people? Like what do our people want? Sometimes if it costs you to give the people what they want, it will be very worthwhile over the long term. So I consider it more of an investment rather than something that is uh, an expense. An expense is something like I have to pay my insurance bill. Um, you know, I have to pay my rent. But an investment is I'm investing into my mortgage or whatever because I will have a house. You know, I'll own my house free and clear one day. Uh, well, in this case, it's like I am investing in my years. audience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, let's not get into that one. Oh, my goodness. Um, the bank still owns it after you pay it off. But um, so or the government does. So anyway, I think that the the idea is that you want to find ways to invest into your fans so that they will kind of without you having to ask them, like I'm, I'm not begging people to give me ratings out of, you know, 10 out of 10 on board game geek or anything, but they are, um, because they like the game. And I think that that's really important. Like, you know, I, I don't, I don't actually plan on, um, asking people to counter the ones with tens now, everyone. Um, although I could, I just think that it would, uh, be more genuine if people genuinely review the game. I mean, the best way to counter ones you know, if somebody gives you a negative rating online, just go get 150 ratings. And the vast majority of those, if you're being a good service provider, is going to are going to be positive. So um anyway, that's I guess that's probably all that we 
are able to get into for this week's episode because, oh my gosh, uh, it was fun, but we're at uh, over 50 minutes at the moment. So, uh, Sean, you have anything you want to say? I'll give you the last word. Crackalaka. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible word. So that's all the time we have for this episode. Make sure to check out crowdfundingnerds.com to see what we offer, how we can help you get your crowdfunding campaign, board game, tabletop game to the next level. Also, make sure to check out the show notes for any of the information that we mentioned in this episode. And if you have a question, join our Facebook community, the Crowdfunding Nerds community. Ask questions there. There's plenty of people in the community who are willing to help, and we can even jump in as well if we see your, your question and we have the time to respond. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you on the next one. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you have a crowdfunding question, we also have a page on our site where you can send a message directly to us. Please visit crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question. And if your question is a great question, we may include it in a future podcast. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.